This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for the statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. At any given moment in time, governments in the U.S. and around the globe carry out key missions in the service of their citizens, learn from and engage with partners in other sectors, and act as cost-effective stewards of public resources. However, over the last two decades, governments have faced a period of near-constant change, with new challenges arising and demands on governments increasing. To some astute observers, governments have been stuck in the structures and processes while struggling to adapt to the international, economic, social, technological, and cultural changes of the 21st century. Organizations like the IBM Center for the Business of Government continue to contribute cutting-edge research leading to practical, actionable recommendations for government executives who are facing many of these challenges while also collaborating with like-minded organizations to improve government performance. One such organization is the National Academy for Public Administration, NAPA. How does NAPA fulfill its mission solving government's most critical management challenges? What is NAPA's Grand Challenges in Public Administration program? And how will it change the way government does business? We'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Terry Gurdon. President and CEO of the National Academy of Public Administration. Terry, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thanks, Michael. It's great to be here. So, you know, could you give us an overview of the history and mission of the National Academy of Public Administration, also known as NAPA? Not to be confused with winemaking or auto parts. Thank you (laughs) for the introduction. (laughs) The National Academy of Public Administration was actually founded in 1967. So we just celebrated our 50th anniversary last year. So we're really excited about the next 50 years as well. Um, But it was originally formed um, by James Webb, who was then the administrator of NASA, who said um, in his position, I know where to go for scientific advice. I go to the National Academies of Science. But there's nobody to give me administrative advice. I need something like that. And so he started to grab um, prominent folks from the American Society of Public Administration, ASPA, and past presidents of, of ASPA became the nucleus of oh, NAPA. Right. And so they began to grow and, and bring in more fellows um, to that group. And then in 1984, Mr. Webb was very instrumental in seeing through the congressional charter that Ronald Reagan signed. Um, so we were chartered by Congress in 1984, which makes us and the National Academies of Science the only two congressionally chartered national academies. So that's kind of how we how we came to be. 
Um, and we have a very clear mission um, and a very clear vision that I think really resonate with folks. The vision is to make government work and work for all. So you can see how that kind of takes you down lots of really interesting roads. And our new mission statement, which really comes out of that congressional charter, is to improve governance and advance the field of public administration. So we make a a link between government, Mm -hmm. what it is, and governance, how it works, and then incorporate it at all levels, federal, state, and local. So, you know, I'd like to get some background. So how is NAPA organized? How does it operate? And how are you funded? Well, we are not funded by appropriation, so that's really important, even with the congressional charter. And we are a nonprofit organization, so we're funded on a fee-for-service basis through the work that we do. And the way we're structured, we have a small uh, permanent research staff that backs up and and really does the, the hard work in the studies that we do. And then we have over 900 fellows of the academy. And so we match our research staff with our fellows to do specific work for specific organizations, again, at all the different levels of government, with a focus on the administrative side of their business. So not policy, but really process. So turning a little bit, that's a good understanding of the mission, vision, and uh, how you operate at NAPA. What about your leadership role? Could you tell us more about what it means to be or what your roles and responsibilities are for the president and CEO of NAPA? Well, I think it's like any president and CEO, right? My job is is strategic, um, to set the vision for the organization, to really grow its reputation and its renown, and then to make sure that it operates effectively. Mm -hmm. But there's a tactical side of that, too, which is taking care of the people, running the business, um, and then growing the business and making sure that we do quality work. So because we are so small... Um, there's there's a lot of both sides of it. So there's the external facing and the internal facing side. Great. So, you know, in your capacity as the president and CEO, what were, would you say are some of the challenges you faced since taking over and how have you sought to address those challenges? Well, I mentioned we just celebrated our 50th anniversary, yeah. right? So we're really looking to make sure that the academy has the solid foundation to be meaningful and contribute in a meaningful way for the next 50 years. Mm-hmm. And so that means we have to, uh, and we have been really focused on creating a good business process, right, so that we're both efficient and effective. We make the best possible use of the resources that we have to do good work. We're also really focused, though, on creating a strong agenda for the future. Um, The world is a very different place in 2019 than it was in 1967, and 50 years from now, it's going to be different in ways we can't even imagine. So how do we strategically create an agenda that keeps the academy forward-looking, not backward-looking, and then looking for as many new and creative ways as we possibly can to engage those 900 fellows Mm -hmm. in the work of the academy? Um, Lots of new uses of social media, web-based tools, virtual conferencing, um, just the ability to reach out to them wherever they are and make them feel like they're a part of the business of the academy. Interesting. So, Terry, since you've taken over, what has surprised you most leading NAPA? You know, that the, the biggest delight is getting to know the 900 fellows. These are the smartest people, the most accomplished people in public administration, and they're all part of this organization. And they remain incredibly committed uh, to the work, to the effectiveness, to the mission of government. And so finding ways to get them involved is just really leveraging this incredible national asset. And so that's been a great delight. Um, I think the the 
piece that's been a little bit challenging, but is so important now is our reputation for nonpartisanship. Mm-hmm. I think that's oh, yeah. never been more important yes. than it is now. And so we ha- we recognize that as one of our our unique features, right? Um, that that's so important to provide nonpartisan advice. So you match the nonpartisan reputation with the expertise of 900 fellows. It's a pretty compelling organization. It really is. So let's learn a little bit more about your career path. Um, Could you tell us a little about yourself and how you got to where you are now? Well, I would say my career path is pretty (laughs) nontraditional for for this responsibility Um, because I really have to kind of back it up. Uh Um, I was in the fourth class of women to graduate from West Point. So I started off on some sort of unusual path. I spent 20 years on active duty as an Army officer, Um, and uh, I was a maintenance officer, so running large equipment maintenance shops. So I learned a lot about customer relationship (laughs) management um, in stressful environments through that time. But I also did a lot of different things. For example, um, I I got my MBA and went back to teach economics at West Point. So that was kind of um, non-traditional. I got to spend a lot of time working on DOD budgets and resource management. Mm -hmm. And then I became a senior executive in the Department of Defense and worked more on the the resource management. But I also, um, my last position was I served as the civilian deputy to the four-star commander of Army Materiel Command, which is an organization of 70,000 people spread around the world um, providing logistics support to Army units wherever they are. Um, So that was a really... um, personal and professional developmental opportunity, but a real mission-focused opportunity. When I left that, I spent two years in private consulting here in D.C., and then I was offered the opportunity to go to the Department of Labor as a political appointee in the Obama administration to work on veterans' employment issues. So it was coming right out of the uh, recession when Mm -hmm. veteran unemployment was about 13%. So I got the opportunity to really see from the inside a whole different department. You could not pick two departments that are more different than the Department of Labor and the Department of Defense. But to, again, work on a mission that was so compelling. And we were able to drive veteran unemployment down to about 3% in the time I was there. Um, And then um, that position ended and the Napa position opened. And so it was a really fortuitous intersection of two opportunities. That is great. (laughs) Um, You know, given your your background, both as an Army officer, um, West Point grad, uh, and and your career both in the private sector and public sector, you know, what makes an effective leader? And perhaps you could illustrate um, who's influenced your leadership style and what are some of the principles you follow? Well, I think there's no better leadership academy than the military, mm-hmm. right? You, um, you're just out there in front and you have to learn it. So um, sometimes people have associated the phrase leaders eat last, <laughs> right, with the military yeah. style of leadership. And I think that's, that's so important. You just It really gets ingrained in you. But I was thinking um, there's a couple of characteristics that I think are especially important. And one, especially today, is that a, an effective leader – has got to be transparently more interested in the outcomes for the organization and their people than they are in their own Mm self-outcome. And that gets communicated immediately to your people. They know what what you prioritize. And so prioritizing the organization and the people 
um, is absolutely essential to building the trust that you need to lead. And then I think the second is a lot of times, especially in government, leaders kind of come in at the top level mm-hmm. and want to sort of just skate over the surface, yeah, right? And I think it's so important to put in the time to understand the programs that you're designed to lead so that you really can lead from the front with a comprehensive understanding of what you're trying to do. When I got to the Department of Labor, I, I really did get thrown in the deep end. There was, <laughs> as an example of this, um, there was a program that had been statutorily directed, but that was opposed internally. And so I got the task to figure out how to get it through. And I'm like, I don't even know what this is. Right. So I had to spend three or four months with the experts really understanding the program and understanding who was for it, who was against it, and what their equities were. Mm -hmm. And then once we kind of figured that out and understood that the arguments they'd been trying to make were the wrong arguments. Okay. Right. And and we reframed it, then it got much easier. To, to build buy-in for both internally and with stakeholders. And going through that exercise, I think, set up my whole tenure for success because people could understand it wasn't about me. It was about the program and getting it done, but I had to really understand it to do it. And so I think those are two features that really play an important role. It doesn't matter what kind of organization you're in and getting folks to understand that you care about the mission, and you care about them, and you're going to do everything you can to make that succeed. What is NAPA's Grand Challenges in Public Administration Initiative? I'll ask Terry Gurton, President and CEO of NAPA, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services, by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Terry Gurton, President and CEO of the National Academy of Public Administration. So, Terry, before we delve into specific initiatives, would you highlight some key strategic priorities for NAPA over the next couple of years? Sure. Um, in fact, just this past year, the board and the academy leadership went through a strategic planning process. Oh, okay. So your your question is incredibly <laughs> timely. I know the answer. Um We're really looking for new ways to expand the Academy's influence and leadership across the public administration field. As we talked uh, at the beginning, right, the Academy is the only national Academy of Public Administration. So we really want to start speaking like the National Academy of Public Administration um, and to bring our field together um, in pursuit of of a particular agenda that really gets after the big problems that we see. And the corollary to that is by doing that and creating that kind of strategic vision and that strategic voice that will ensure the strong financial foundation upon which we can really build the academy for the future and make sure we last for that next 50 years. Mm -hmm. You know, when you were when you were going through the process of developing your strategic plan and and coming up with the priorities, what were some of the key, say, external drivers and trends that shaped and informed your strategy? 
Well, like every good strategic planning process, you have to look at your market. You have to understand your assets and your resources. Mm -hmm. And I think it became clear to us that the Academy really has a unique value proposition, right? We're congressionally chartered. We're nonpartisan. We have the expertise of our fellows. And so how do we message that? How do we leverage that? Mm -hmm. How do we put it to the use that Congress intended us to put it to use for? So that was a big part of it, understanding then the the space that we occupy um, and how we've behaved in that space. Um, again, sort of the, the good government consulting yeah. market has changed mm-hmm. a lot well, in the last 50 years. Yeah. Right. But um, as that's happened and then as the political environments become more polarized, our nonpartisan expertise becomes even more valuable. Uh-huh. Right. Mm-hmm. So how do we find it? How do we share? How do we scale innovative governance solutions? Mm-hmm that help realize our vision. I think that's where we have a place, a a special place Mm -hmm. in the good government um, market. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I think you're, you've spearheaded is the, is, is a really interesting program around grand challenges in public administration. And could you tell us a little bit about the program, but even more importantly, what prompted its creation? What made you go in this direction? Well, it's a great question. I mean, we'd been hearing a lot from our fellows and from the public administration community that there was um, a growing disconnect between the academic side of public administration and the practitioner side. The academics are frustrated that practitioners don't read their research, and the practitioners are frustrated because the academics don't do research on things that are really immediate, right? So there was this growing kind of disconnect there But then there was also kind of across the whole community a a growing level of frustration Mm -hmm. that they didn't seem to be having an impact. Um, And so we looked at both of those aspects of the field, and then we kind of examined what other organizations like us were doing. And um, we felt that it was really the right time and that the academy was the right organization to lead a new call to focus the field Mm -hmm. um, and to focus it across all of its communities for a common agenda. And that's how we arrived at the Grand Challenges okay. construct. So, you know, I would like to dig a little deeper, if we can, about how the program works and what's considered um, a grand challenge within the context of the program. What specific areas are you focusing in on? And maybe what areas lie outside the challenges? Um, so we unveiled the campaign uh, at our fall meeting this past November. To, to let everyone know that we were going to engage for the coming year in trying to identify the grand challenges. And so what we're doing um, through April 30th is public sourcing of the community's ideas, not just the public administration community. There's nobody whose opinion isn't valid here. Um, and so we have a website at napawash.org. Okay. There's a grand challenges tab, and people can just click on it and input their ideas. Um, So we're trying to get as broad a base as possible um, and as many submissions as possible so that we can then begin to kind of collect and sort and identify trends. I mean, what people think really should set the agenda for public administration for the next decade. So what we've done is we've shaped it into two questions. The first is, what should government at all levels? So we want people to be thinking federal, state, and oh, local. local. Wow, okay. What should government be focused on for the next decade? Mm-hmm. Um, and so here's a case where, where it's easier to think about what's in and what's out, right? So you might think that um, emerging weather effects, mm-hmm. right, would be something that the government should deal with. 
And so our question would be, okay, inside that, what's the public administration piece of dealing with that? It could be um, insurance regulation. It could be public zoning. It could be all kinds of things like that that are government administration functions that are related to the big concepts. So that's part one, really. What should government be doing? And we divided that into um, six criteria. One is science, technology, and innovation. One is equity and inclusion. One is security and resilience. One is economic development and fiscal sustainability. One is individual well-being. And then we have other, mm-hmm. right? Because you have to have <laughs> you other. We, we don't know. We don't have perfect knowledge. No. So we're looking for big ideas about what government should be addressing and then the public administration pieces of that. The second part is how should government change its operations mm-hmm. to deliver the kinds of services that it's expected to do? So this is more your traditional public management space. Here we're looking for strategy, intergovernmental relations, intersectoral relations. So how do the different levels of government work together? Planning, workforce development, budgeting, civic engagement, mm-hmm. and other. And other. Right? So this is the more the technical pieces. So what we hope people will do, the, um, the web-based interface is really simple. It's super short. We don't want anybody to retype their PhD thesis for us. Um, and so we'll we'll collect that kind of feedback um, through April 30th. Okay. Then we have a steering committee uh, made up of really a, a diverse cross-section of folks in the public administration field, representing universities and schools of public administration, representing the media, representing oh, oh, okay. the different levels of government. Um, and other sort of social network folks to really give us a good cross-section um, perspective on exactly those big overarching questions. And then we'll reveal the list at our next fall meeting, which is November 7th and 8th of this year. And then what we hope is that the list becomes the work agenda for the field of public administration for the next decade that it starts to drive short-term, medium-term, and long-term solutions that really get after the problems. We stop admiring the problems and really figure out the solutions. And so that's sort of the the intended benefits of this um, and outcomes relative to this grand challenge that kind of relates to that, isn't it? I mean, what are some of them? Yeah. <clears throat> really what we want to do is create this agenda for okay. the field, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. that um, folks on the practitioner side say, these are the things that are really important to us. Folks on the academic side say, ah, we understand and we can start to drive our research. Mm-hmm. We start to drive curriculum changes. Okay. Perhaps we haven't been training people yeah, on the right topics, yep. right? Um, you know, there there is a process by which we have accredited public administration curriculum, but maybe there are aspects of that that the grand challenges should inform and should modernize. So uh, we're really looking for that agenda setting and then the alignment mm-hmm. across the field to push it forward so that we can start having an impact in a powerful way that people um, can understand and identify with. Have you gotten to the point where, you know, you're thinking about the process of selection, and maybe you could give us a little hint into that. Of the grand challenges? Yeah, like how are you, when you get all this, uh, the submissions, and you did a wonderful job of explaining how somebody can submit, mm-hmm. and um, it's, it seems, I've been there, it seems very user-friendly, um, but what, when you get that content in, how, and you did mention that it's right. the fellows, mm-hmm. but w- w- is there an established process that you're going through that weighs out 
the value of each one of these submissions? Well, I, I think what yeah. we're looking for is trends, okay. right? So if you think about those categories and the what, mm -hmm. if we get a lot of submissions in under individual well-being and maybe not so many on um, fiscal sustainability, uh -huh. although I can't imagine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, volume is going gonna, is gonna to help us focus um, alignment of the of the responses, if we get a lot in preparing the workforce for 21st century work, for example, that's a really common theme, then then we'll know that that, that is one of the things that we're going to try to pick up. Mm -hmm. So it's volume, it's, it's alignment. Um, but then I think also we're going to be looking for uh, statements of grand challenges that are broad enough to pick up lots of different sure. mm -hmm. um, interest areas underneath them that can all drive towards a bigger question. And we want to shape it in language of the future, oh, right? Yeah. Not language yeah. of the past, because we want them to endure for yeah. for ten years. Now, are you going to? If you can, I ask another operational question: Is it the in-place research team that you have, or is it the fellows, or is it a combination of both that's going to be looking and distilling? And it's really a combination, combination of both, both right? So, mm -hmm. again, if we have lots of um, submissions in a particular area, we may get a subcommittee sure. of, of expert like fellows wonderful. to really sort of filter through those and say. Of the 600 we got in this space, here's what the themes start to look like, right? Or here are the ones that are most promising or best supported. Um, so they can provide that feedback to the steering committee. And then the steering committee is the folks that have the ultimate uh, okay. buck stops okay. here, okay. So, you know, sign on their desks to say, <laughs> nope, this is really the list that we want to put forward. So, you know, I had another question, and I think you kind of, you kind of answered it a little bit, but I would like to delve into it. And that's to what extent do you think the Grand Challenges effort might foster sort of <laughs> new collaborative efforts between universities, levels of government, government groups like mm -hmm. NAPA, mm -hmm. and private sector nonprofit folks? That's exactly what we hope oh, will happen okay. with this. I mean, we looked at how the National Academy of Engineering did theirs and several other groups. And so what we hope will happen, and we've had some conversations with some of our deans around this, is that different universities will pick up on one or two of these and say, yes, that really is a place where we think we have strength or where we want to build strength. And so they'll start to be the nucleus of a whole different kind of collaboration space that could be made up of local governments, could be made up of other nonprofits, could be made up of private industry who wants to really see something happen in that space. And that they start to form this really cool interdisciplinary, intergovernmental collaborative that can drive uh, real change in both the research agenda, the practice, and then the implementation. And we might find pilots that, that come out of that space, right, that could be tested and then maybe scaled, might find some just global, really imaginative, creative solutions that start to spark change. Mm -hmm. So I think that's how we expect it to grow, that we'll start mm -hmm. to have these coalitions or partnerships. Um, and then we hope that the academy can become the sort of integrator, the the um, amplifier of the progress, the convener of the groups to track change and progress. Because we don't want to just post the list and say, good luck, right? Yeah. We really want to be part of saying, yes, we're working on this. Um, this university's working on this. This is the pilot that's coming. We want to be able to broadcast um, and share the good news so that more people can um, share in the progress. You know, as a follow-up to that, because of the collaborative um, models that we were talking about, but also given the long-term nature of the Grand Challenges um, uh, initiative, do you envision the uh, governance structures changing and, and transforming 
um, in order to deal with some of these challenges that we anticipate seeing, you know, sort of, sort of make it more mm-hmm. flexible, responsive, technologically adept and accountable? You know, I think one of the big trends that is emerging in mm-hmm. public administration is the essential um, co-produced nature, okay. right, yeah, of it. solutions. So right. what you'll find is a community that's tackled a particular problem, mm-hmm. place-based strategies is an, another word for these, right, that's sort of coming up. And and to do it, they had to go across organizational boundaries, right, that to bring people together who don't normally sit at a table together to mm-hmm. find some interdisciplinary and um, interorganizational solutions. I really expect that to tackle the kinds of um, challenges that our government is facing in the future, we're going to have to figure out how to do that on a national scale, right? Um, So figuring out where these folks are that have, have, um, I won't say mastered, but at least experienced sort of an intersectoral kind kind of conversation and understanding what they had to do to do that, and then highlighting that um, at the federal and the state level yeah. is going to be really powerful. Because I think we may need to find a way of designing institutions that allows groups to come together to solve a problem, but doesn't put them in that form forever. They can mm-hmm. dissipate and go back and solve different kinds of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to be able to bring together the right people at the right place. And right now, certainly at at the federal level, we're not structured to do yeah. intersectoral work very well. How is the National Academy of Public Administration reshaping its internal operations? I'll ask its president and CEO, Terry Girton, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology, a companion piece to a more detailed report by the Technology CEO Council. That report outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Driving change in the federal government requires more than new policies or the infusion of new technologies. It requires a sustained focus on implementation to achieve positive and significant results. This IBM Center special report provides a roadmap for government leaders to do just that. Download Transforming Government through technology and all IBM Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. How does the Women in Military Service for America Memorial commemorate the courage and sacrifice of the female members of the U.S. Armed Forces? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores this question and so much more with guest retired Major General Jan Edmonds, chairwoman of the Women in Military Service for America Memorial Foundation. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour, Mondays at 11 a.m. on Federal News Network. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Terry Gurton, President and CEO of the National Academy of Public Administration. So, uh, Terry, um, from your perspective, what can be done to transcend the current fractured state of politics and governance? And to what extent can the focus on good government assist us in doing that? 
a great question and a really timely one. Um, you know, I think if we can focus on good government, government that works, right, that um, it starts to get us out of some of the more fractious policy debates, right? So, for example, if we have a national system of government governance, and so I mean federal, state, and local all working together, that effectively manages, say, a responsive regulatory regime, mm-hmm. right? It can do that well without regard to the policy yeah. behind a specific regulation. And people will then know how to respond um, and execute, and, and we can move along. I think the same is true, say, for example, of being able to effectively report on the performance of a program, right? So if we have good metrics and good data sharing and integrated delivery systems that can deliver a program well, that's separate and distinct from what you think about whether we should have that program. Mm -hmm. But then if you've got good performance metrics, you can have an informed conversation about whether the program actually is or is not delivering what you thought, as opposed to having to say, is it a good program or a bad program? You can have some really good data upon which to base that. So a government that works well um, can help inform the policy debates, I think, in a much better way. You know, you mentioned there are 900 Mm -hmm. uh, NAPA fellows, but I, I didn't ask you a question about what it means to be a NAPA fellow. Could you elaborate? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, I think um, all of our fellows consider it an honor to be named a NAPA fellow. You have to be nominated, and then you have to be elected into membership. So I would say fellows represent the most outstanding talent in the public administration field, as evidenced by their careers uh, of excellence. Um, It's an honor to be nominated. It really is an honor to be nominated. (laughs) And even a bigger um, honor to be elected. Yeah. And we bring in about 30 to 40 new fellows every year. Every year. Wow. Um, so our fellowship is divided almost in thirds, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, about a third of them are in the academic space. Okay. So they're instructors, they're researchers, they're prominent and driving um, innovation in the academic side of public administration. About a third are... Uh, former or current federal practitioners at the executive level. So either politically appointed or career senior executives who have demonstrated and been awarded for their outstanding federal leadership. And then the other third really is comprised more of folks at the state and local level or in the nonprofit or private partnership space that have driven um, careers in public administration at different levels. So it gives us a very unique both depth of understanding about the government and breadth because our fellows are spread out across the country. So when we need to think about, um, you know, operations of a particular system, Mm -hmm. we have folks in California to talk to, we have folks in Michigan to talk to, folks in Texas, folks in Florida. And so it gives us this really unique flavor of being able to bring academic and practitioner advice and regional geographic advice. So it's just an amazing group of of people. And again, some of our oldest fellows, I think our oldest fellow right now is 96, still writing public administration textbooks. They are so committed. You know, you kind of, you've mentioned it a couple of times, and, and but I, I'd like to talk about how NAPA encourages and promotes ideas and practices that advance the theory and practice um, of public administration. Right. So I think it's um, both a top-down mm-hmm. and a bottom-up approach. Mm-hmm. So from the bottom up, we have the ability to highlight and amplify what, what 
really is groundbreaking research and innovation um, being done by many of our fellows day to day. Um, in 2017, for example, we did a four-part series around the country oh. on governing across the divide. We said, you pick a divide. We have to <laughs> – many of them showed up. And uh, yeah, how do we manage a government that works across that? And so we did a session out in um, Sacramento talking about the changing role of states. And we had fellows there. But because of our fellows in California, we also had access to lots of California legislators and talking about how states are envisioning their new role Right in, in our federalist government, we went to Austin and we talked about innovation in communities and learned, um, I learned a lot about the, the challenges of managing um, all of the sort of the emerging issues around immigration and integration in the state of Texas and what really creative community managers are doing to address those. Um, and so we have the ability then to take those lessons and highlight them. So learning from the bottom up, I think, um, through our fellows across the country is really a powerful aspect. Then we have the top down where we get questions from Congress and federal agencies saying, we are, we are having trouble with this problem. We'd like the academy to go in and take a look at it. So then we get to get involved right at the top most levels and try to figure out what are the issues here and how do they flow down from the federal government. So we bring both of those areas together to really drive kind of a comprehensive understanding of what's ticking and what's not mm -hmm. inside the public administration system and start to drive um, more of a conversation around what do we do about that. Mm -hmm. I was wondering, does some of the standing com standing panels that you have mm -hmm. at Napa kind of do this, or could you tell us more about them and what have they been working on? Uh, so the standing panels are a really interesting feature. We mm -hmm. talked at the beginning about how Napa does its funded work. Yeah. But we have six standing panels, which I think of as sort of our organic think tank ah, capacity. Okay. They are populated by fellows. They're led by fellows. They're organized around themes that have been of great interest to fellows. So we have six of them. One is um, executive operations and management. So these are folks that are typically um, come from the federal experience background who are very interested in how the federal agencies are running and operating. But as an example of the kind of work that that group does, last January they published um, a paper um, with six uh, backup papers on how to improve organizational health and effectiveness in government agencies. Working with OMB, he was kind of frustrated at how do we get after really good performance metrics. I think this was just an incredibly powerful piece of work to, to look at federal employee viewpoint surveys, learning agendas, learning organizations, and we brought in lessons from the private sector, lessons from international governments to say, you know, really, if you want to make our government organizations more healthy, here's how. So that's the kind of work that, that they do. We have one on international affairs that's mm -hmm. looking at, you know, the public administration challenges are amazingly consistent. The questions internationally are the same. The solutions are different, but the questions about how you make government how do you make government more effective really are very common. And so this group kind of takes the international approach to some of those big questions. And at our um, fall meeting, for example, they did a, a big panel on international trade and the public administration aspects of making sure that the trade uh, regime is working. Right? Not what the trade policy is, but how do you make sure that trade works well from an administrative side? And we have a panel on the public service. 
And so this uh, group has traditionally been focused on how do we uh, motivate and retain folks in public service. They are getting ready to publish probably in March on the one-year anniversary of the president's management agenda, not just a retrospective of how's it going after one year, but some ideas about where you might take it mm-hmm. in the next uh, two or three years. So so they're after that kind of space. We have um, one of the longest-running panels of the Academy is the Standing Panel on Social Equity. Mm-hmm. That was really sort of a founding principle of the Academy. It remains part of our charter. And so um, they are looking at um, the variety of equity issues and how do you make sure that government policies are addressing equity. That group puts on an annual social equity leadership conference. This year it is June uh, 5th through the 7th at Rutgers University. So you can find out more about that on our website. We have a standing panel on technology leadership. And so this is um, how to lead government organizations with technology. It's not how to choose the best sure. software system. but uh, And so it's got a really strong focus right now on artificial intelligence yeah. because there are so many questions about how do we deploy, how should we, and should we deploy artificial intelligence in government operations? So that group's been working for about the last six months to pull some papers together that will address questions around ethics uh, and artificial intelligence in government organizations. So we'll probably be releasing that in the February-March timeframe as well. Great. Our last one is on the, uh, the standing panel on the intergovernmental system. Mm. Um, and that really is the question, how do we make all the levels of government work well together? So that tends to capture a lot of our fellows who have experience in the state and local level. Mm-hmm. And that group is looking at um, really four topic questions right now and, and examining the intergovernmental framework. Um, so they're looking at um, the opioid ep- epidemic. So how did grants flow? How does policy work? How do you engage all of those different levels? Um they're looking at uh, emergency and disaster response, which really is an intergovernmental Real challenge. Time, yes. uh, they're looking at ladders of opportunity for the middle class mm-hmm. um, and workforce development kinds of issues. So they're all really robust. really robust, really engaging on powerful issues and then gathering our fellows to mm-hmm. do that. So it's, it's fun to watch. <laughs> Switching gears a little bit, you know, how have you um, reshaped NAPA's internal operations so to promote a more productive and engaging work environment. And you know, what more do you anticipate doing in the management of the, uh, of the academy? Well, um, you know, that's a, a to-do list that is never, Over, right? never yeah. exhausted. Exactly. <laughs> but it, what we're trying to do is, is focus on how we do business um, and make ourselves as efficient as we can possibly be. So over the last couple of years, we have upgraded our financial system, mm-hmm. We've moved all of our IT to the cloud. We were managing our own servers and uh, doing crazy things. We've modernized our our website. We built a complete new website um, so that people can engage with us in new and different ways. Um, We're really integrating social media into our communications and learning a lot about how to leverage social media so that we're positioned to move forward. So we've we've really lightened our physical footprint Mm -hmm. Um, but expanded our virtual footprint. And I think that helps us in lots of ways to really stay connected with our fellows um, across the country. A couple of other things that we're doing on a continuing basis is addressing staff development. Mm -hmm. I mean, we get really bright folks who want to come and work for us, but we also want them to progress. And so we've 
um, completely changed our uh, performance management system. I have to tell you, coming out of government, right, I was deeply ingrained in the federal government's performance management process. And you get to an organization that has 20 full-time employees, and you're the president, you talk to your HR person, you go, I can do it any way I want. <laughs> what can we do? <laughs> yeah. So we've completely revamped it. Um, and it's really paying a terrific dividend. People mm-hmm. get constant feedback. They get constant guidance. We're really working on staff development, which has completely changed yeah. sort of the um, atmosphere of the organization. So that's really fun. But I think the thing I'm most proud of is really how we interact with our fellows. Um we're finding new ways to increase opportunities for them to be involved. Those standing panel yeah. meetings that we just talked about, you used to have to be in person, oh. right? So if you were within commuting distance of D.C. and felt strongly, passionately, you could come and we would give you a sandwich when you were <laughs> while you were there. Um, but we have fellows across the country. Yeah, we have fellows around the world. They couldn't be involved in that. So we've opened all of those panels up to, to virtual connectivity, and it's amazing. We now have almost 100 people participating in the Intergovernmental Systems Panel. That's terrific. So lots of new ways for them to be involved, ways to capture when they write, mm-hmm. when they write op-eds, when they write at, um, blogs, when they're writing um, and they're published anywhere. We're able to pick that up and give them a new platform for um for development and for outreach. So we're really capturing a lot more um, interaction and interest with our fellows. And that's driving an incredible amount of, yeah, driving an an incredible amount of enthusiasm. How can good government groups best help government? I'll ask Terry Gurton, president and CEO of the National Academy of Public Administration, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome to the Center This Week. The Center This Week is our opportunity to inform and, most importantly, to invite you, our listeners, to use the IBM Center for the Business of Government as your resource, a resource for improving government effectiveness. Every year, the American Society for Public Administration, ASPA, hosts a conference bringing together almost 1,300 practitioners, scholars, and students to connect research to practice and share current trends and information with each other. Among public administration's most significant 21st century challenges that transcend geographical boundaries, sectors, and levels of government are the key themes of this annual conference, and some of them are public finance, infrastructure, and public service. All of these themes impact the lives of citizens every minute of every day. Today, I'm happy to welcome ASPA President Jane Pisano to talk to us about the 2019 ASPA Annual Conference to be held in Washington, D.C., March 8th through the 12th. Jane, what can you tell us about this year's ASPA Annual Conference? What do you hope to accomplish? Well, recognizing that it's our 80th anniversary, we're speaking in a, in a way that's very bullish about the future, but very realistic about the present. Um, the conference theme is a call for action, advancing public service. I love the advancing word. You, it's an echo of 
advancing excellence in public service, which is our mission and has been for 80 years. Um, I think the conference encourages dialogue and is aimed at, especially this year, finding actionable solutions that can be brought to bear in the public policy real world that we all encounter every day. What are some of the key themes of the conference, and how is it different from previous ones? One of the innovations this year is to ask very creative, accomplished people in the field to take what we're calling a track. And those tracks um, echo the main themes and uh, points of emphasis in ASPA itself. So there's a global public administration track recognizing that we get many people from international countries. And a big part of ASPA is bringing together all of that knowledge in a way that is interesting and exciting for the people who know very little about the subject. We also have an infrastructure track with two different co-leaders. And those are people who are expert in Uh, infrastructure, and they are bringing their expertise to the rest of us through a series of presidential panels. That's really the pattern. So the first series of presidential panels is the global public administration track uh, with uh, Rich Callahan and Marilyn Rubin. The next is the infrastructure track with Wendy Haynes and John Curlin, and so forth. There are other tracks public finance and public service tracks, and then a social equity track. So these are all issues which ASPA locally and nationally is focused on. The plenary sessions provide opportunities for uh, all of our conference participants to come together and hear a lecture and a discussion of importance to, to all of our members. Uh, There's going to be one plenary session on the history of of ASPA and ASPA into the future that a team of very accomplished seasoned academics will present. So it's a a chance for um, a lot of big picture thinking that is a wonderful complement to the presidential panels and to the regular Um, panels that are based on participants' research, which really form the backdrop for the whole conference. Jane, before we go, any news information you would like to share about this year's ASPA annual conference? www.aspanet.org has all of the latest information about ASPA and a way to become a member. We had 2,000 new members last year because so much of what we are able to provide comes on the internet in a way that is easily accessed by people who are looking for specific information or general viewpoints about ASPA. Thanks, Jane. Once again, ASPA's annual conference is March 8th through the 12th in Washington, D.C. This has been The Center This Week. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Terry Gerton, President and CEO of the National Academy of Public Administration. You know, Terry, um, how can the ecosystem of good government groups, places like NAPA, the Partnership for Public Service, 
and uh, the organization that produces the show, the IBM Center for the Business of Government, mm -hmm. just to give you a flavor, how can they best help government? Well, there's no shortage of issues to be working on, right? <laughs> so I think um, what we're all getting better about doing is sharing our agendas, right, and understanding um, how each of us is a different organization, what strengths each organization brings, and then finding the space to allow for us to exercise our strengths while collaborating together Um and there are lots of examples of that. I'm thinking um, last summer, the Academy partnered with the Senior Executive Association, yeah, right. right, and the Shared Services Leadership Coalition to offer a six-part series on shared services, not just at the concept level, but if you have to really do it, yeah. what are the steps you have to take? So, I mean, that that's really powerful. Good content on your website. Right, right bringing, bringing yeah. those together. I think there's an opportunity now for um, many of the organizations, especially in our space, to work more closely together. We now have Academy Fellows leading the National Governors Association, the National Association of Counties, the International City and County Managers Association, and the National League of Cities. Right, so those are all fellow-led organizations. Mm -hmm. So bringing those agendas together, understanding what's happening at different levels and how we can amplify and reinforce um, solution-based development there is really powerful. IBM does a terrific job in um, supporting research mm -hmm. in that space, right? So, um, and the partnership, of course, is very focused on the, the training of folks for the public service. So they're, all of those organizations, very, very integrated, but at the same time, different in their specializations. Mm -hmm. So um, recognizing the strengths, um, sharing the agendas, and then just leveraging the, the different um, opportunities and audiences. In fact, we share media opportunities Absolutely. now, right? Yeah. Making sure that we're all announcing each other's events and encouraging mm -hmm. folks to, to participate gives us leverage because independently we're all pretty small. Yeah. But collectively, we're much larger. It's a nice compliment. It really is in terms of getting the mission of uh, the business of government working well. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, speaking of working well, I was remiss in not asking you this earlier, but um, how does NAPA evaluate the success and effectiveness of the work it does? And is there a process that you folks have? So that's one of the things we started in the last sure. couple of years um, because our, our – answer to that question used to be anecdotal. We would okay. say, well, we did a study on this and we know that some legislation got passed or we did a study um, and we know that something changed inside the organization. What we have tried to do over the next, over the last couple of years is take some lessons from organizations like GAO who do this really well, right? We, we aren't GAO, but they, sure. this particular process, they do really well. So we have gone back to create a database of our reports and our recommendations because we document all of those and are now engaging back with the organizations that we visited to say, we made 15 recommendations. How important were they to you? And trying to collect the documents that validate that sort of uh, performance in the same way that GAO substantiates their uh, recommendations and follow-up through, you know, if they recommend that you do a strategic plan, you have to turn in your strategic plan. We're not going to be quite that deliberative, but we want to know, you know, we recommended that you made these challenges to your human resources process, for example. Did you? If not, why not? Or what was helpful or what didn't get you as far as you needed to go? Um, so we're trying to make that a much more um, detailed and documented uh, 
report process that we do internally so that we're always following up so that when you ask us that the next time we can say, we did a report two years ago. We made these recommendations and the agency took the following steps. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So I think it'll be helpful for the agency. It'll be helpful for Congress um, because, it, you know, if Congress directs us to do a study, we have to give them a report back. Mm-hmm. But we don't always come back two years later and say, yes, they're doing what, what yeah. you asked them to do. So I think it's going to position us much better for that longer term conversation. That's great. And, you know, we've had a terrific conversation, but I'd like to turn towards the future as we close up uh, this conversation. Um, what do you see as your highest priority over the next couple of years? And you know, more importantly, what would you like to what do you want to achieve in those years? Well, we talked about a lot of the different pieces yeah. of what's going on at the academy. I think if I was to say, you know, two years from now sure. would be the end of four years for me at oh, Napa, yeah. um, I would look back. I'd want to say, were we able to expand the academy's influence and leadership, right? So can we measure that? But more importantly, sort of reputationally, is the academy mm-hmm. in a different place than it was um, four years ago? We can... Um, measure whether or not we're in a better financial place. And that's so important um, to setting the stage for the future. Just Mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, we actually created an endowment for the academy. Can you imagine? It went 50 years and never had an endowment. So we do now, and we'd love for people to make contributions (laughs) to it to ensure that we survive for the next 50 years. But really, we felt like you couldn't position an organization to plan on being around 50 years from now if you didn't have a strong fiscal foundation to build on. And then I think the other thing we'll know is, were we successful in setting an agenda through the grand challenges process? Right? Did it really start to pull the field together? Can we see impact from it? Is it setting the stage for the future so that the field of public administration can be strong? Not just the academy, but the field of public administration. Can we really make government work and work for all? Um, and if mm-hmm. if I can look back two years from now and say, yes, I can see that we've moved along that path. This has been a great conversation. I want to thank you for your time today. It's been great to be here. Thank, thank you, you so much. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Terry Gurton, President and CEO of the National Academy of Public Administration. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. How does the Women in Military Service for America Memorial commemorate the courage and sacrifice of the female members of the U.S. Armed Forces? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores this question and so much more with guest retired Major General Jan Edmonds, chairwoman of the Women in Military Service for America Memorial Foundation. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour, Mondays at 11 a.m. on Federal News Network.